What is happening to the surface of the planet Earth and to California's Central Valley? Is this California business as usual? Or is this the fight over human and non-human rights? What are the honest, hardcore facts about reckless human behavior that cause the peril that humans make for each other? And what can we do? Where do we find the promise for a better world? Stay tuned for this week's installment. I am Pegasus, your host for The Peril and the Promise. Sponsored by the Peace Life Center of Modesto. Today on The Peril and the Promise, we will look at the issues of mental health as they pertain to war and environmental destruction. After focusing on the military's harm to our own U.S. soldiers, we'll hear from a national environmental group called Quaker Earth Care Witness regarding environmental justice, and we'll also hear recordings from folks at the Forest and Climate Convergence, which happened in late 2019. We all know that within the environmental movement for climate justice and mitigating climate chaos, the youth of the world have statistically more time in their futures than the elders to endure the climate chaos troubles. So much leadership is coming from teenagers and folks in their 20s in this activist movement. To lay the groundwork for the theme of today's show, Climate and Mental Health, we will consider the growing phenomenon of suicide, starting with the largest carbon footprint and pollution creator, the U.S. military. So let's start with some statements from Matthew Ho, a U.S. military veteran and part of the Center for International Policy, as recorded by Eleanor Goldfield from the Internet show called Act Out. Veteran suicides, I don't think, are anything... New. Uh, what we know, uh, looking at rates of veterans uh, and various generations, you know, you see the same type of suicidality, the same uh, combat is linked to suicide. It's very clear. Uh, uh, just to get that part out of the way, the first study that I know about was done by the Veterans Affairs Administration in 1991, and it clearly showed the best predictor of suicide in Vietnam veterans was combat-related guilt. Every, pretty much every study that's been done has shown that. Um, in 2015, uh, the National Center for Veteran Studies at uh, the University of Utah did a uh, meta-analysis of all the different literature out there, the research. Now, when you talk about active duty, they're still in the bubble, right? There's, and this is where it gets really concerning, not that the veteran suicides aren't concerning because it's, it's, it's absolutely awful. Um, well, since 2009, the estimate is between nine and 10,000 veterans of the Iraq and Afghan wars have killed themselves. So you've had uh, a total of, of 7,000 soldiers killed in action. Right. And just since 2009, you've had nine or 10,000 have killed themselves. Uh, just to give you the, uh, and that doesn't stop. In 2014, uh, the rate of suicide for World War II veterans was found to be four times higher than their civilian peers. So 70 years after the war is over, these guys who are in their late 80s and 90s are still killing themselves at rates well above their civilian peers. Uh, when we start talking about the active duty troops, historically, the suicide rate was lower for active duty soldiers than it was for the civilian population. And there are a lot of thoughts about that, but mainly, you know, they, they had a sense of purpose. You had uh, camaraderie. You had uh, you had people who were checking on you. You know, you were showing up to your unit every day. You know, um, 
And as the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were going on, that rate steadily climbed. And I think it was about 2009 or so that the rate of suicide for uh, active duty members surpassed the rate of suicide for the civilian population. Um, it might have been a little bit before that. And it, it's very concerning because that shows that there's something broken within that support system. There's something broken within that bubble um, that is allowing these men and women to take their own lives. Yeah. And much of it has to do with, hey, look, some of the people who are killing themselves are killing themselves for the same reason that people kill themselves uh, in the civilian population. But when you start to get above that level, when you're killing yourself at a greater rate, okay, what's the reason for this, this level here? Um, and, you know, you can't explain it away with, oh, they owe money. They, I mean, it, it comes down to there is something that uh, uh, is bothering them um, that is putting them in such distress. And for veterans of combat, that has been shown over and over again to be guilt. Um, and that's what we suspect with much of the active duty service members as well who've been in combat is that's the reason. We've been listening to Matthew Ho, and we're thanking Eleanor Goldfield for collecting this interview from the internet show Act Out. And this is stuff that PBS has reported, you know what I mean? But there's a myth out there that they didn't have problems when they came home. Yeah. It's completely not true completely not true. Uh, no one talked to them about it. No one ever went up and asked them about it. Uh, we have records of this type of psychiatric, mental health, um, soul uh, 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 problems going back to the Romans. You know, uh, the Greeks certainly spoke about it. One of the things people talk about a lot is Homer. Uh, in the Iliad, you know, you can find references to PTSD or to moral injury. The Romans they basically uh, would take their their soldiers out and would send them back to camps where they could recover, um, as well as there's some records of actual type of psychiatric wards for them, you know. But um, certainly throughout time, there are records of, uh, there is acknowledgement of the psychiatric and uh, mental and, and, and spiritual costs of war. If you're just joining us, we're hearing some statements from Matthew Ho of the Center for International Policy regarding mental health disturbances for warriors caused by the military action itself and the psycho-spiritual-emotional sickness endured by direct participants in war. We'll also hear later from a peace group that focuses on environmental and spiritual issues, but let's get back to a few more statements from the Center for International Policy. Their spokesman is Matthew Ho, who is about to address the caregiving aspect for male soldiers and veterans ready for suicide throughout the centuries. And it's the wife who has dealt with it. Yeah. And I can say the same for myself. I mean, my issues, uh, most people have no idea I have them. My wife knows I have them. I mean, she's the one who has to deal with them. What we're going through now uh, is not any different, I don't think, than anyone else has ever gone through during war. Today on The Peril and the Promise, we are hearing some sound bites from a military veteran named Matthew Ho, who also spoke of early 21st century drone warriors and the personal consequences for their killing actions via video screens in remotely piloted bombers. Ho claims that there's no difference in the mental health disabilities between face-to-face -face combat troops and drone pilots. Because what they're doing is they're, they're taking 
lives. And that crosses a boundary, a moral boundary, um, uh, a spiritual boundary that regardless of how you were brought up, you have that in us. If you're just joining us, we are hearing from the Center for International Policy as recorded by ACT OUT regarding mental health disturbances for warriors caused by the military action itself. And we'll be right back after a short break. Welcome back to The Peril and the Promise, where we have some recordings made by ACT OUT in dialogue with Matthew Ho on military misfortunes of soldiers. Here, Matthew makes the point that the moral and spiritual injuries come to military veterans even when they are not physically present with the people they kill or witnessing their culpability via drone video. I have a friend. He was uh, a radio guy in the Air Force. He was attached to a drone squadron. And his job was to set up the radio antennas to talk to the drones and everything else. When he got back from Afghanistan, they gave him the award. And they said, the award said something along the lines of, you know, because of you, we were, we were able to kill 300 people. And it broke him. I mean, it broke him. I mean, he literally, he, he actually burned his uniform and everything else. Now, they, they keep the drone program really sh uh, shrouded in secrecy. They keep it really under wraps. They keep those people in the program really under wraps. Yeah. Um, and um, But we do know that they do have high rates of PTSD. Um, I assume it's really moral injury as opposed to uh, PTSD in the traditional sense of right. PTSD. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the one thing that is different, I think, for my generation uh, compared to previous generations is we have a lot more, uh, uh, if we have, we have issues with traumatic brain injury. Um, we're surviving, uh, things that previous generations would have been killed in. Um, I had Marines, uh, who were in vehicles that were blown up nine, 10, 11 times, you know, um, I one time had a piece of shrapnel like this big hit my chest, right? You know, I mean, it just bounced right off. We've been listening to Matthew Ho, the senior fellow at uh, the Center for International Policy. I don't think people realize how bad it is. Uh, we, uh, when we killed uh, an enemy uh, uh, combatant, we killed an insurgent uh, in Iraq, we would not let their families pick up their bodies. We let the, we, 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 we keep their families away from them so the dogs would eat the bodies. So we did that. We, you know, I mean, some mother's son eaten by dogs. That's what we did. That's the kind of people we are. And we're supposed to come home and be told we're heroes when we did that. That kid was fighting us because we invaded this country, you know? Um, so it's like that type of stuff. So it's really, it, it, and where I think it impacts uh, veterans is because they're they're away from uh, other veterans often, and then they get told, and, and, and it, they have this dissonance. This dissonance, right. excuse me, that's occurring, right? You know, where they're they're trying to deal with what happened in their head, and then they've got you know all these people thanking them. Telling their heroes, you know. Thanks to Eleanor Goldfield and the folks at Act Out for those recordings of Matthew Ho.
from the Center for International Policy. You can learn more about their work at internationalpolicy.org. Let's hear a recording of Shelley Tannenbaum, the General Secretary of the Environmental and Spiritual Group. Quakers have traditionally valued um, peace and justice, and that has been um, our public witness in the world. That's what we're known for. Uh, I see the the environmental crises that we're facing as not separate from that, but as completely intertwined with peace and justice issues. Everything that we're seeing and experiencing in terms of ecological problems um, has a direct link to environmental justice, to justice itself, to the disproportionate treatment of, or disproportionate impact to people, most of whom were the least responsible for causing the problem. Shelley Tannenbaum is the General Secretary of Quaker Earth Care Witness. We are seeing problems related to climate, related to biodiversity, related to ocean health, related to soils. The list goes on and on. We've never experienced anything as daunting as this, and it's going to impact. It is already impacting um, everything we care about. All the concerns we carry, peace, justice, environmental justice, um, it's swamping everything else. Also at the Quaker Earth Care Justice Group is Haley Hathaway, who draws the connection between the abuse to the environmental balance in nature and internal conflicts or mental illness due to misbehavior towards the natural environments on Earth. Quaker Earth Care Witness, we look at the changes that we need to make as individuals, as a society, from a spiritual place. Because what needs to happen is that we need to understand our role as humans, as being part of nature. What we're saying is that what we're seeing in the world is a result of a crisis of us being so separated from the land and from each other that we poison the food that we eat, that we uh, steal water from the future generations, that we destroy the things that are literally giving us life. The spiritual piece is working toward right relationship. Again, that was Haley Hathaway from Quaker Earth Care Witness. Earlier today on The Peril and the Promise, we heard from Matthew Ho, a military veteran who is part of the Center for International Policy. Also shared by the internet show called Act Out, we now have some recordings from folks at the Forest and Climate Convergence, where environmentalists from various bioregions were able to have many discussions on the intersectionality of forest protection, water protection, soil protection, land protection, and the human struggles, including our personal health, to make a better future for humanity and other living systems on the planet. I don't care how strong or bad a rap you got. You can talk about mass incarceration and have the best rundown for why that's a problem and, and all this, right? I don't care if your animal rights spiel is the it's unbreakable, it's right? How much of those kinds of speeches or mentalities can you put together if you don't have water? So without connecting all of those things, we're still limited and incomplete. It's all important. And when you have the opportunity to talk about one thing so that you can bring light to it to help in that struggle, you should. But you should never be limited to one one type of revolution. Revolution is endless. 
This is Mike Africa Jr. speaking on the internet show called Act Out with Eleanor Goldfield. Prison is a waste of time and the government uses prisons for us to be diverted in revolution. And they wasted a lot of our time because when you're fighting for people to get out of prison, mm-hmm. You're not fighting for the revolution anymore. You're fighting for the revolutionary. And then when the people come out of prison, they're, they're older, they have health issues, they don't have the same energy. So now the energy and resources go toward taking care of them. And of course, you don't want to not take care of them. They've been in prison all the time. You have to take care of them. So it's like, it's a, it's a real waste of time. And he wasted a lot of our time. Today we have some recordings from uh, folks that were part of the Forest and Climate Convergence, which was organized by the Global Justice Ecology Project and the Indigenous Environmental Network and the Shawnee Forest Defense in late 2019. We'll be right back after a short break. I'm your host, Pegasus, and today we're talking about climate change, mental wellness, mental health, um, and emotional illnesses, and environmental destruction. We have some recordings from folks that were part of the Forest and Climate Convergence, which was organized in late 2019 by the Global Justice Ecology Project, the Indigenous Environmental Network, and the Shawnee Forest Defense this is Corrine Fairbanks. So you asked, like, what we want to tell people about Thanksgiving. I think that's the one day a year where Americans actually admit that they are immigrants to this um, land. And really, we should be posing the, the question, what should we ask all those kids in detention centers that are not with their families and not able to have dinner with their families? Because what the U.S. government has done in separating families is not anything new. It didn't just start a couple of years ago. It started when they first came to the, you know, step foot on this land. This is Corrine Fairbanks. I think that when we talk about environmentalism and climate change and the corporations involved in um, raping and massacring Mother Earth, that indigenous people and the massacre, the continued massacre of indigenous people has to also be part of that table. And it's not an invitation to be part of the table. It's more along the lines of we all have to sit down. It, it all affects all of us, you know, and um, we're the canaries in the coal mine. 
What's happened to us is happening to, is going to happen to everybody. If we talk about a woman that's been murdered and missing, then we're talking about all women that have been murdered and missing. It's just a lot more. Native women are seen more expendable. Yeah. No more stolen sisters. No more missing sisters. Get rid of eyes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And let's just continue to stand up for our people. That was Corrine Fairbanks speaking at the Forest and Climate Convergence a few months ago in late 2019. She was among dozens of people from various environmental movements spending time together to share stories of the many struggles for indigenous peoples and for other climate justice activists in the early 21st century. These struggles are not just against the powers that be, such as the disrespectful fossil fuel energy companies and the military consumers of fossil fuels, but the activists at the Forest and Climate Convergence and the Quaker Earth Care Witness, as you heard earlier in today's show, they are all aware of the personal, emotional risks, hazards, and costs in prayer actions for a revolution in the USA, a turning away from the practices which cause climate chaos. Earlier, we heard from Matthew Ho, who spoke both about the phenomenon of suicides on the increase for U.S. military vets, as well as mental health problems for non-combat veterans or those folks allegedly further removed from the killings they commit during warfare, such as drone pilots. What we heard today on The Peril and the Promise was that even when fewer soldiers are killed in combat in modern warfare at the beginning of the 21st century, the cost to mental health in an age of perpetual war and plenty of civilian killings is that more veterans die from suicide after the war is over then died during combat. Again, you can learn more about these issues at internationalpolicy.org. In case you've been feeling that today's program of the peril and the promise has had too much peril and not enough promise, I thought we might play a little bit of a Dead Kennedy song because the humor in this sardonic method is one of the ways that people can start to deal with the heaviness of these issues before we move on to uh, better solutions and happiness. So, here it is. Are you busy with the water papers? War is coming back in style. The general series right there and the rest is sitting there. Where the chest was filling up the bread we make more fun from the bullet there. Destruction and mental health. It's already been well documented that climate change is having a profound effect on mental health. A couple examples of this are that suicide is already the second most common death among Americans between 10 and 34 years of age. That 
is the youth of America at around age 10 to age 34, people that are just coming of age. One of the new studies says that climate change could cause thousands of additional suicides in the U.S. and Mexico as the planet gets hotter. The Stanford and Berkeley scientists have found that suicides, as well as depressive Twitter language, rises with the temperature. So temperatures rising could lead to more suicides. And of course, we already know that um, the the depression uh, and sadness of the, the, the lack of futures for folks in India caused nearly 60,000 suicides of um, mostly farmers uh, because of the climate change affecting the agricultural uh, possibilities. Um, Also, uh, there were uh, researchers in Philadelphia who published a study concluding that access to green space does um, reduce depression, does reduce depression. And uh, you may have already heard about this too, that access to green spaces uh, have not only help with mental health for people, but it also um, helps more dramatically for low-income neighborhoods, for people with lower income and not much green space. When they get more green space, there's been more dramatic uh, rises in mental wellness than with the people that were richer and had more access already. There's more ways to connect on social media about this through hashtag OurClimateOurFuture. As a final note to close out today's show, I wanted to give an update on something I reported on last year, uh, about a year ago, about the four necessity valve turners. So after extensive research and reflection, the four necessity valve turners, if you've heard this show before or have heard about them in other media, they decided it was necessary to take urgent action to address the severe and imminent threat posed by climate change. Therefore, on February 4th of 2019, they broke into the Enbridge site near Blackberry, Minnesota, in order to stop the flow of tar sands oil through lines three and four. They contacted Enbridge to give the corporation the opportunity to shut off the manual shutoff valves remotely, which the company did. They felt that their action was a success in stopping the flow of tar sands for a little while. And the update is that a trial date has finally been set for Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020, beginning at 8.30 a.m. The group expects a three-day trial, and these four necessity valve turners uh, can be contacted if you're interested in finding out more about that at the St. Isidore Catholic Worker Farm, 2752 Clay Hollow Road, Cuba City, Wisconsin, 53807. You've been listening to The Peril and the Promise from kcbpradio.org, produced by Pegasus here at the Peace Life Center of Modesto. You can tune in every week at this time 
to learn about the peril that humans make for each other and the promise that we can make for a better world as community. Music on The Peril and the Promise is by Alzara Getz and Dorothy's Melting.